You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, inspiration, day jobs, bad habits, and mental health. We talk about art. We talk about spiritualism. We talk about imposter syndrome, perfectionism, meritocracy, and mediocrity. We do sometimes talk about things like sexual assault, suicidal ideation, self-harm, trauma, and whatnot. So, you know, be advised. Each week, artists, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people join me, Brad Pearson. Not a doctor. Not a therapist. Not an expert. In a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst? Do you want to confide about the darkness inside? Come and talk about it on Self Worst. Hello, everybody. How we doing? Welcome to another week, another month, another episode of Self Worst. I'm Brad Pearson. I'm the guy, the main guy, you know, whatever. Uh, had a bad week. It's been kind of a fucked up week for everybody, hadn't it? I don't know. That's what I'm feeling anyway. FYI, we uh, recorded this episode last week. Um, before everything popped off in Ukraine and things got real bad and uh, yet another big scary fucked up thing to uh, stress about worry about and uh, watch in horror as uh, you know a country is invaded in real time and uh, there's nothing you can do about it and uh, it's really bad and horrifying and horrible to watch and uh, I don't do well with all of this stuff don't know about you but uh I was in, uh, yeah, just not feeling good <laughs> about this time last week. Um, I uh, had a panic attack, a good old-fashioned panic attack. Um, woke up in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., you know, just fucking sweating, freaking out, throwing up. That's cool. Haven't done that in a while. In spite of everything going on, you know, it, it, it sometimes takes certain things for me to really uh, freak the fuck out. Uh, you know, one of my my big uh, things is, uh, you know, war, particularly war between, uh, potential war between nuclear superpowers. Not fun for me to watch or think about or extrapolate on. Uh, is not a thing that is good for, uh, me mentally. So, I decided to take Twitter off my phone. Um, I feel like I know what I need to know about the situation. Nothing I can do about it. And it was really just literally making me sick. So, I took it off. And, uh, honestly, does feel better. Like, I don't super miss it right now. Sometimes I do if I have a little, <laughs> a funny little thought that I want to share and 
think I'm real cute and get a little dopamine hit, a couple of likes. And when I say a couple, I mean two. But honestly, now, like, I'll check in with it once or twice a day. And uh, it's better. And I don't look forward to doing it. I, like, wince as I open the app. I'm like, ugh, this is going to be real bad. And it is every time. So uh, I'm never disappointed, I guess, or surprised. I don't know. I can't deal with it. I guess that's a, a, a weakness of mine. I don't know. I am too much of a uh, baby sometimes with all of this. Is that it? Am I just too sensitive for this world? I don't know. Oh, no. It's too sad out there. I get too sad watching the news. I'm allergic to bad things and war. Makes me, makes me feel bad when I look at it on my phone in America. Yeah, I know. Look, it's very privileged of me to uh, choose to disengage with this when there's people fighting for their homes and fleeing and being bombed right now. Yes, I know. I know. I know. Think I don't know that? We all know that. You know that too. You're in America, probably. Are, are you peering out the window? With a Kalishnikov right now? I don't think so. Yeah, you're in air conditioning. You're walking around. You, you got your earpods in. We're all fine. I don't know. What am I supposed to do? This stuff's been happening. Forever. For a long time. People getting bombed innocent people getting killed awful things happening globally countries being occupied and invaded sometimes we pay attention sometimes we don't and right now we're paying attention so great I hope we do pay attention and I hope we are rightly horrified by all of it I don't know I'm getting distracted. My amygdala goes crazy. I'm getting all these stress hormones, all this cortisol through my system. It's no good. I gotta I still gotta like go to work and shit. Still gotta like be a person in the world. Can't just like sit staring at my phone, rocking back and forth. So this is how I control it. We are not meant to uh intake this amount of news, much less horrifying fucked up news um, on such a constant basis or did our brains can't handle that I mean, I guess some of you can a lot of you can, a lot of people on Twitter just still posting through it, I see but I don't know how you do it and I don't think it's good for you frankly but if you can deal with it that's great happy for you that this isn't um, giving you uh, dizzying panic attacks on a daily basis glad 
that's not happening for you. I am genuinely glad I'm not being facetious. I'm being a little facetious, but I'm also happy for you if you are just vibing, hanging out, fully functioning, going out, seeing friends, and uh, just trying to control what you can control and letting go of the rest. That's cool. Happy. Good for you. I'm trying to do all of that. Trying to vibe. I almost had a vibe today. You know, when you're just feeling feeling good. You get a little, little bit of serotonin, whatever that is. You a little squirt of serotonin, just the tiniest little of serotonin. It's March now. I felt I heard the songbirds. You know, the, 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 the birds are doing starting off with their little horny spring songs. That's great. I was I went to a hardware store and there's a charming hardware store on Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn. It's like generations of old Italian dudes calling each other pop and stuff because it's actually his daddy and he runs a hardware store with him and it's like oh this is wholesome this is great I needed to pick up some WD-40 for my bike which is uh, not in great shape and that's a whole nother can of stress but dealing with that by and by and I was feeling good and I was walking I was, I was getting on my bike and I saw uh, if you live in New York you will know this guy there's this dude uh young skinny black fella who rides around on a bike and balances a soccer ball on top of his head and he rides down the sidewalk and he scares the shit out of people and he's like hey 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 and 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 just like runs right through crowds and he never drops the ball and he never hits anyone but he like gets people to like dive out of the way and everybody turns their heads and it's a big spectacle it's the greatest love that guy he's a hero i mean i don't know him he might also be like bad or something. I don't know. Whatever. We're not gonna fucking milkshake duck the goddamn bicycle basketball head guy who is an esoteric Brooklyn character that only some of you know about. Anyway, I was looking at him and I was like, "Hell yeah, that's great." I'm gonna ride my bike down the hill. I'm gonna get this thing tuned up. Do some spring cleaning. Get all the gunk out of the cassette off the chain that's gonna be nice that's gonna feel satisfying and then I get a phone call from my bank so a little backstory on this I uh, last Christmas around there uh, there was a check fraud situation somebody uh, got a hold of one of my old checks ripped me off for eighteen hundred dollars. I immediately noticed it because that's a that's a bigger chunk of change for for your boy. Okay, that is uh, most of my money at any given time that I have. So uh, I called the bank and I was like, "Hey, this ain't right. Like, this, I didn't authorize this." Blah blah blah. And they're like, "Cool, cool, cool." So they gave me a credit for that amount of money. It was all this uh, just leagues layers of red tape because they didn't want to have to actually pay out the 1800 even though that's a paltry amount of money for them and so they made it as difficult as possible I had to sign a notarized document notarized affidavit 
had to be notarized, had to had to go into detail about why I did not write a check to this person. And I'm like, because I didn't. Anyway. Long, fast forward to they seem to have resolved it. They, they called me and they were like, hey, we haven't received the thing yet. And I was like, cool, but I sent it. And they're like, okay, cool. And then a week later, they were like, they sent me a, 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 a piece of paper that was like, hey, don't worry about it. Your, uh, your money's good. We, we understand that it was fraud. All taken care of. Keep that 1800. That's, that was a bad transaction. We understand this, this sort of shit happens. No big deal. Case closed. All right. So why today did I get a call telling me that I need to go back and sign another affidavit? Otherwise, they're going to take the 1800 back out of my account. I just, uh, had a, I had a meltdown. I kind of lost it on that person. I kind of screamed and hollered and sounded like a real asshole. Lost my temper. Lost my traction. Spun out a little bit. I'm not proud of it. I don't like being that guy. That person, that rep did not deserve the earful I gave them. I didn't need to be such a dick about it. They just work there. Yes, they work for an evil institution. And yes, this probably happens to them multiple times a day. And yeah, if you don't want to get yelled at, don't call people and tell them that they're, you're going to take $1,800 away from them when you said you wouldn't. Okay. But they're, they're just doing their job. They're just some wage worker, right? So that was some bad karma that I put out in the world today. And I've been ruminating on it. Like, like, that's where I'm at now. Like, I can go from, like, within a two-minute phone call. Go from just, like, really vibing. Just like, yeah, all right. To complete fucking meltdown. That's about how close I am to losing it at all times. <laughs> right now, apparently. <sighs> but, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. I guess I just move on. Come home, take a shower. Eat some dinner. Relax. And, uh... I don't know. Do I... Do I... Go try and look up who called me? Who that rep was? Get a record of them and apologize? Send them a fruit basket? Give them a hug? Reconcile? Is that just for me? Or is that to actually make them feel better? I don't know. I just... Uh, I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect person. I can't live in a constant state of doom all the time. Because if I feel like there's no point to anything and we're all going to be like evaporated in a week, two weeks, right now, as you're listening to this. I don't know. Like, I can't, I, can't, I can't. I can't think about the world that way. I'm sorry. Yeah, I guess there's more that I could be doing as an online person to uh, help 
out in the world, but I really, I, I can't. Sorry. This is my contribution. This is the, uh, you know, me trying to make up for uh, my transgressions, karma-wise. Yelling at people over the phone who I don't know. And then trying to balance it out by maybe offering some encouragement to other people I don't know over the internet. I don't know. Here I am in a world of unsolvable problems with my little podcast. That's about all I can do, so here it is. This week... I'm talking to my new friend, Frank Mosley. He's an actor. The way we start this conversation off is we're talking uh, about the movie that he's in, uh, Freeland. Um, It's about a weed farm and this uh, cool old hippie lady who's been like an OG and he plays one of the farmhands, just for context, how this conversation starts out. I don't honestly know if that movie is streaming anywhere right now. I hope it is, because it's good, and you should see it if you can. But if you can't, I'm sorry. I feel sorry for you, because you missed a good one. Maybe you'll see it someday. Anyway, um, that's all. I've been rambling a lot. Uh, at gmail.com. Follow me, Radical Pearson, on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show, at Selfworst, on Instagram. Email me, selfworst at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to get in touch or whatever, if you've got any bright ideas of how to be a functional person when everything is falling apart and just keeps keeps collapsing again and again, pandemic and then a World War Three and then it's just a house of cards every time over and over and, over and you just feel like you're never going to uh, have any kind of uh, security and you, you're just never going to live in uh, any kind of a stable world and you're just uh, slowly circling the drain and you just uh, have to not uh, keep that thought out of your mind. But you can't stop thinking about it once you have the thought in your head because you have uh, intrusive thoughts and that's one of them. Anyway, if you got any ideas about that, let me know. Drop your boy a line. That's all. I don't know. Rate and review on iTunes. Uh, tag us. Uh, take a screenshot and tag tag the show, and that's cool, and uh, that's all. Let's talk now about anything else with Frank Mosley. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, I literally just finished watching Freeland. Uh, oh wow! Before before we started talking, um, thought I would do a little bit of cramming, you know, before we <laughs> before we got started on on uh, you know the interview and stuff. That that looked like a fun movie to uh, to film. It really it really was. Thanks for checking it out. Yeah, um, of course, man. It was it was really uh, a special project because it was there was a lot of workshopping involved it wasn't just like a traditional script mm-hmm. and so they kind of said we want you to really feel like you're the author of your character so let's talk through things and details so we did like a lot of like kind of improv and really work yeah. together for kind of like a summer camp vibe he's an interesting character uh what's his jeff the character you play uh, jo- josh josh yeah. Yeah. yeah um he you know he goes through kind of a, as more is revealed about him, the more you, you kind of feel a 
little mixed about him and who he is and, yeah. and, and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so um, how much of that was, you know, was you and and uh, what made you want to put those kind of uh, nuances and flaws into the character? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I'll say that um, from the beginning, the in the, the outline of the film was that he was going to do what he does to her in the last third with the with the phone with the text so it was always about getting to that point but it was always about how do we get to that point where it's not just about the money uh because when we had the original idea through mario and kate the writers and directors they were like the main thing josh is doing this for is because of the money like he feels like she's hiding it from him i'm like you know money is one thing but if he's been working with her as long as he says and he's kind of developed a real affection for her i was like i think it's he's gonna feel it's coming from a a different place it's not just about money it's more from an emotional break yeah that leads him to that space so i toyed with some ideas to pitch kresha first and then we pitched those ideas to mario and kate and they said well let's try it out and see so the drunk scene was like a scene that we kresha and i came up with together as a way to kind of show that he's uh he's vulnerable but he's, you know, he's this kind of man-child. He's kind of dangerous. Yeah. You know, uh, and it's in him. And but he feels kind of like a spurned, a spurned lover. Like he kind of makes a pass. Right. He doesn't go. There, there is, a, there is like a, a little bit of sexual tension between yeah. the two. Like I, it started off as sort of like this maternal thing that I was like, oh, that's cool. Exactly. But then it, you know, sort of morphed into this other thing, and I was like, that's an interesting dynamic. <laughs> I mean, cool. I get yeah. it. I mean, she she is kind of hot in a way. She's like she's a she's, beautiful, she's a like a just a badass old lady. Like yeah. I, I kind of get it, you know. Um, and um, the slow reveal. I mean, you know, not to give too much away about uh, the movie. I guess if you're listening to this, you're just gonna have to yeah. see it. Right. Uh, right. Just see the movie Freeland. It's as simple <laughs> as that. Um, yeah. Just see Thanks it. Thanks for the plug. Um, but uh, the kind of the reveal of the the uh, the alcohol being a bit of an issue uh, with his character, I don't go. I don't know if I want to go so far as to like call him like an alcoholic or an addict or blah 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 mm-hmm. any of that necessarily. But he's definitely like not using substances in the healthiest way, in which like the whole movie yeah. is about substances and about the cultivation of marijuana you know um which uh you know i mean obviously i'm i'm very pro but obviously also there is a kind of there's a dark side to all of that stuff um and uh the way that they the way that you guys uh sort of slowly revealed that uh is very true to life because that's usually how you see it in other people. Um, I'm wondering if you draw from experience on that. I'm wondering if you, uh, you know, have anything more to kind of add. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, just into kind of to say one thing to kind of tie in my answer to this, but with something else you just said is I think when I was approached to do that part, um, I think on the paper, it, it was, there was a version of the character that could have been a lot gruffer and a lot, just kind of like maybe I don't want to say villainous, but like, has a dark has an edge from the get-go right and my my big thing that i i fought for with mario k was like i really want to play this guy like he's a guy you want to have a beer with at first 
And then the more you hang out with them, you see these other sides because then that way it's more insidious and it's more of a betrayal. Yeah. If it's not from the guy you see it coming from, but if it's a guy who already seems like he might, you know, mess with you like this, then like, yeah, of course you won't, it won't be a surprise, but, but to your answer with drawing on things for those vulnerabilities, um, you know, I, I was in a, uh, a relationship a long time ago um, and the person that I was with was uh, battling some of that. Um, and so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible thing to witness where you realize right. that it's, it's not about you and that person and there's really nothing that you can do. You can offer as much help or support as you want, but at the end of the day, it takes that person to either take a break from that or not. Right. Uh, and people use it to varying degrees, as you said earlier, right? I mean, it's like some people live with it. Um, some people um, go through bouts, you know, yeah. some people that either, either do it out of depression or some people drink more when they're happy. Like if yeah. they're really like going through something amazing, um, but for this guy, I, I definitely, and I think it, it comes through just narratively. I think that he uses it as a, as a coping mechanism. Yeah. I mean, sure. the way it's revealed yeah. is just, you know, like yeah. the first time you see him having a drink, he's just at a party after work, yeah. he's hanging out and you're yeah. like, of course he's having yeah. a beer. And then like, yeah. you see him a couple more times with a beer in his hand and you're like, eh, it's, I mean, maybe a little, uh, he seems yeah. to be at work or something, but he's still, he's still, he's still they're talking yeah, business yeah. and stuff, but like maybe it's yeah. after five or what, you know, mm -hmm. and you're like giving him the benefit mm -hmm. of the doubt. And then all of a sudden he's like stumbling drunk and falling over right. and you know, making an asshole out of himself. And you're like, yeah. Oh, okay. So like things, the tone just shifted. And that's often, <laughs> you know, what happens when you, when, you know, the curtain is pulled back far enough when you, when you hang out, or, or, you know, when you are around someone, long enough you start to see that like oh this isn't all fun stuff you know this no isn't all great and, and, and it ties into what you brought up about boundaries right i mean you kind of hinted that earlier but i use that word because you know this is a person who is your your employer is your boss but yeah. also your friend but you know pretty soon you're staying on their couch and pretty you know starts with you helping to stay to clean up dishes and then pretty soon like you're like hey can i crash from the couch and then it's like that starts yeah. to blur it gets really slippery, you know. The movie brings up a lot of things about, I mean, not only that, like, substance stuff, but just you know, labor and, like, worker management relations and, yeah. uh, you know, older generations um, trying to modernize and, you know, just sort of, sort of like, OGs of the... Uh, the Like, the weed business trying to get in and, and, and being sort of shown up by all these like fucking techie upstart douchebags yep. and yep. you know like it's it's sad on a lot of levels um but you know as somebody who's pretty much worked in just like kind of menial service jobs uh my whole life um you know i the first characters i of course identified with were the the three workers you know yeah. the the underlings because mm -hmm. i was just like at first i was like well this would be a i would fucking love to do this for a yeah. living like this looks yeah. like a really right. fun place to work right um but then of course you know the issues of money and capital kind of mm -hmm. come in and uh sort of crush that whole 
dream and that sort of utopian vision and you can see that there's like repetitions of uh you know like these old hippies who sort of went through like the commune thing the first time around and didn't work out for them and like the money dries up and then they're just like okay what the fuck do we do like you know we thought we could kind of live off the grid but you can't really like the man will find you you know um and uh yeah i don't know it's uh it brings it i think it opens up it a lot of theme a lot of subjects that you're saying about even though it's kind of about this core character there's all these other things that it hints at i think it i think one of the strengths of the movies that it hints at in a very lean runtime it hints it hints at so many other subplots and b stories which you know could almost be a series i think like in the amount of like you know world building that it Mm -hmm. does like i want to see more of all these people absolutely yeah um so uh you're from dallas um when did you get uh, like how did you get started in filmmaking what drew you towards uh filmmaking and acting and all that stuff i um so yeah, I, I grew up in Dallas, and I say Dallas to everybody because it's it's the easiest thing to tell sure. people who don't Dallas know North Metro. Texas, right. Dallas Metro. Because technically, I grew up in Arlington, which is right between Dallas and Fort Worth, like it's the midpoint. Right. Um, so I, my dad, he uh, he had a camera on loan from his brother. It was a Sony Handycam Hi8 tape recorder, and I was four years old, and he was bored, and he's a movie nut, and so he goes let's make a movie while mom's away. So we made the wizard of Oz and I played every single part and we shot this movie together. And then he played it back for me on the recorder, plugged it in the TV and I could see the movie we just did. And it was very surreal. And I was like, Oh wow. Like, it's just like when I play make believe with you or my friends or my cousins or whatever, but it's like, we captured it. It's a movie. Right. So that kind of put the bug in me and my dad, was always a film nut. So growing up uh, in that way, he was always trying to like open up new windows of what movies could be to me. And so he would take me to like the art house cinema, which was all the way in Dallas, which was like a good hour away. And so he would show me silent films, international films. And what did he so do for a living? He's a, uh, a, a couple things. Or what he's does an he? entrepreneur, entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but he's a, he's a, a landlord. First of all, he like owns a lot of properties, residential properties in, in Arlington. So that was kind of like the bread and butter. But on the side, he used to uh, restore and repair all those cool antique games from bygone era, like the fortune tellers and like the crane mm-hmm. machines and the mutoscopes you'd crank. And so he had a fascination from his engineering mindset of like how things work and how you can put them back together. And he loved he loved old games, old arcade games. And so he would restore these machines and put them in snack bars and in restaurants all through DFW. And then some even like in San Antonio and like more in the Southern part of Texas. So those are kind of like his two main sources of income, like in the eighties. Um, but he took me to a lot of movies and it just that I, we saw a lot of movies like every Friday, it was kind of like our thing as an only child. Like I would go with my parents to like go see a movie. And so it's something I treasure because it's something that we all love to do together, but it, it certainly, you know, it put that seed deep in me to love movies. And so by the right. time I was eight or nine, I was now operating that handy cam camera and I was 
making movies with my friends and it just kept going all through high school and then all the way to college when I was uh, in film classes there at UTA Arlington and uh, while getting my English lit degree. That is a whimsical upbringing you had. Like, oh, really? Like, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he grateful. fixes old like fortune teller machines and shit and takes yeah. you to the movies. You go to movies with your pep pep. Yeah. You, you fucking, you, you make Wizard of Oz when you're nine years old. I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful upbringing, man. Thanks, man. I'm really, uh, I'm very grateful for them. They still are so supportive with what I do. And they've always, you know, my dad's always been particularly, he's like, you know, as long as you can eat, because you got to eat, as long as you find a way to make money, keep mm-hmm. a roof over your head. He's like, that's the main thing. He goes, but I'm not going to ever tell you to stop doing what you love to do. He goes, but it's up to you to survive. He's like, that right. part is up to you. You got to figure that out, you know. Have you um, always been able to, or have you like hit walls where you're like, oh, fuck me, like I'm going to have to, no, I, I can't I've pay rent this month? I've definitely been in that spot. Um, and, you know, I've worked a lot of, you were telling me earlier about different jobs. Like I worked a lot of like retail and, you know, I worked at Starbucks for six years. And um, But my, my parents, um, particularly in my, my 20s, they were very, helpful in the sense that I lived in one of the properties Mm. that my dad owned. Right. So like the kind of deal was, okay, if you take care of the property, like, well, it's going to help you out. It's going to help us out to have somebody here for upkeep. So that was like a really special deal. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's been, it's ebb and flow. And especially with being in the industry that I'm in, it's so unpredictable, you know, it's like feast or famine. I mean, one minute you're like, Oh great. I have enough to splurge and buy a gift for somebody. And then like, you know, two weeks later, it's like, you're in the negative. (laughs) Right. So it's just, you never, you never know. It's uh, it's hard to, it's hard to gauge. Is there some part of you that ever wants to just like, fuck it. I just want like some day job stability thing. Like I want some certainty. I want like a retirement plan. Like, uh, that's a fuck art. Really, like I want uh, yeah. retirement. I mean, that's a really good question. I, I was just having conversation with a buddy about that uh, yesterday uh, because the answer is no, I will never stop making art. Like I, I love it too much. I started too early. And even when I've taken breaks, I'll never stop making art. But I think that the question for me is going to be, am I going to at some point going to stop pursuing it as a career? and do it only as a hobby because I do it. I've done it too long for it to go away completely. So the only difference is right now I'm, I spend so much time pursuing acting and auditioning and agents and like trying to get work and networking and trying to get the job and making films when I can my own films, but I could see a, a version of my future where like, you know, depending on what happens with some of the acting work or what I can book or, you know, other choices, like just realizing, you know what, you're getting older and you need to have some kind of cushion. And if you want to have a family and you want to settle down, there's all sorts of factors. I could see it becoming more of a hobby down the road and just being something that like I do on, you know, breaks from teaching because uh, right now I'm a substitute teacher. Right. And so I teach elementary and middle school and uh, I love kids. I love teaching. Uh, I like that it's flexible. <laughs> Right. To be a sub, you know, you can take the time off, but the pay is solid. Um, keeps you on your feet. You have to kind of improvise your way, helps you with your acting and your directing. But 
I think there's a version, man, down the road where I could see myself, you know, teaching full time mm -hmm. and having the breaks to make my films and, you know, maybe even go further into academia, like be a professor, but I would have to go back to school for that, which doesn't sound too appealing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the idea of Especially going on a to... financial point, yeah, but, you know, uh, like, like, I mean, like I, I have a film degree. Um, and I've given serious thought to going back to school for stuff, but I'm also like, I'm still paying off my film degree. So I'm not right. really sure why right. I would do that, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that just doesn't seem like a thing, but there's so many things that I want to fucking learn and do and pursue. And you have to fucking pick one path. It sucks, man. But like, I know, I mean, that's what my dad went to college and he, he went to college for seven years yeah. and he never got a degree. He said, because he kept just switching his major. Cause he's like, I just learned a little bit about all the things I wanted. Mm -hmm. He goes, but then I don't really have anything to show for it except for the knowledge I have. He goes, but I don't have that piece of paper, you know, right. for one thing he goes, but I learned all these different, you know, religion, engineering, all these things he was into, you know? Yeah. Fuck the piece of paper though. I mean yeah. like that's, he's, that's... Learned, he's learned so much, you know? Yeah. Um, let's talk about mental health. Um, so yeah. this is a mental health podcast, yeah. um, or at least that's sort of the main focus. Uh, mm -hmm. so can you, uh, tell me about like your journey on, on all of that stuff, uh, medication, therapy, uh, mental health bouts, um, and your whole sort of journey with, with that, with that stuff. Sure. Um, so it's interesting cause, uh, um, it's like mental health and the idea of knowing your feelings and being able to understand your feelings and communicate your feelings with others is so important. And, you know, being a boy raised in Texas, it's interesting when talking about my parents because the way I was raised was that with my mom and dad, they were like, it is okay to show vulnerability. It's okay to show sadness. And that's a, that was a rare thing to hear as a boy in Texas, where a lot of my friends, it was all about like, you know, machismo and like, right. You know, how much can you put on it? You don't want to ever show weakness. Right. Bunch you know, of eight year olds walking around in Stetson hats yeah, and shit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. You know, Tough riding guys. a little donkey, donkey to school and they, um, they wouldn't stand by it, you know? So I was a way more, I, I was raised way differently because of that. I think it, you know, obviously it kind of filled in my early life so differently, but the one thing that they, they didn't help me really understand were my feelings of anger because my parents, God bless them, but they, they didn't know and they didn't encourage you to show your anger mm. and they didn't encourage you. Like if you start to raise your voice, they'd be like, Hey, like take it easy, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm just mad, you know? And so, I had a lot of repressed anger as a kid and I would show a lot of my anger by myself in a room. Again, these are parents that we never had a hard time telling each other we loved each other, but, but it was almost like against the rules to show anger. Right. And to be honest, I think it's because the norm was that we got along so well that anger honestly very rarely came up, which I think made it more difficult for them to let me be angry because then it was like such an anomaly that they were like, oh, well, how do we deal with this? And is he, you know, what's he going to do? 
instead of just realizing, oh, it's like a healthy, he needs to find a healthy outlet for that expression of anger. And I'm a kid, you know? Right. Um, so a lot of the roles that I did as an actor in my early 20s were very angry characters. And I realized it was because it was a, it was an outlet. It was a very belated means of expression. I think of me exploring, you know, they say as an actor, your body is your instrument, it's your tool. And you got to know your tool and your moods as an actor, as many kind of broad stroke moods as you can. And anger was something that I never really had a lot of growing up. Right. And so I think I explored a lot of that in my early twenties in ways that, um, frightened me because I was, um, it was coming out and it felt like it was a very real thing, but it was right. like, I realized, wow, I, it hit me. I was like, wow, I got a lot. Of, I got, a got lot too of real. Oh yeah. I got a lot. It, I got a lot right. in there. There's a big pot in there. That like, take was a little too out. authentic. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Uh, so that, that was a big thing with, you know, me personally, like uh, from a starting point of my life with, mm -hmm. you know, mental health, um, because again, I, I, you know, so my dad, my dad's a agnostic. My mom is a hardcore Catholic and they somehow raised me to where it's like, they gave me the choice to whether or not I wanted to get confirmed when the time came or not. Dad was always like, feel free to question everything. You know, he goes, you don't have to commit or not commit. Of course, my mom's heart was broken when I was like, I don't want to get confirmed. Like, I don't believe this. Sure. She still can't accept that to this day. Yeah, but, but maybe they should have like a less boring church, you know? Like, I maybe, agree. Maybe Catholic agree. Mass shouldn't be just like two fucking hours long and just yeah. a snooze fest. So, no, uh, you're right. You're totally right. I, but what's funny, what that ties into me, though, with is that like when I was a kid, you one of the questions I think maybe was even on the preamble, what mm -hmm. you sent me of like things about how we see ourselves and, you know, I think one of the things that I... I say this cautiously, but one of the things I, I like about myself is I think I'm a, a good listener. I hope I'm a good listener to my friends and to people I care about and that I'm there for them. And I realized as a kid, it started because I wanted to help my friends. And I thought, well, the only people I know who listen to problems are priests. So for a long time, when I was a little kid, I thought I was going to be a priest. I didn't know that you could be a therapist or you could be some other sort of listener to help people. Right. But I used to help a lot of my friends and the the older I got, I realized that I did a lot of listening, but I never really did a lot of talking about right. my feelings. And growing up, um, a lot of people in school, one of the things that would really piss me off is a lot of people in school would be like, God, you know, you're really, you're a nice guy, man. You just, you're so nice, but you never get angry. Like you're just, you know. And it would just it would it would piss me off twofold because one, it was kind of tied into the acting thing where I have an Achilles heel man, which is that even though I know I can't play every part in the world and I know that nobody should play every part in the world, my favorite actors are the ones that are like the Gary Oldmans and these people who play a variety of parts, and I love those performances. But when those kids said that to me, I would get mad because one, they're saying that I'm not full bodied as a human being, that I'm not, I don't have the anger in me or that right. they can't see me being, I'm like, Hey, I'm a real person. But on the other hand, by them saying they don't see it, it tied into the acting thing where it's like, Oh, like I have to show all these other sides of me through my acting. 
right you know in order to show people that i'm a three-dimensional human being this is what i was thinking as like a junior high high schooler you know um and so i would get really pissed off like when people i thought people nailed me down or people thought they had me figured out Mm. and it would make me uncomfortable and i didn't like it and i would always be like you know hey like i don't i don't ever try to claim i know everything about you i would never say that you know i have you all figured out to my friend who said that you know um because there's always something more to learn about somebody especially i mean even even people you know you're you're married to or old time friends i feel like there's always something new right. you're going to learn about them and i think the minute you stop being interested in that or the minute you start thinking you have them figured out that's where either the relationship could crack a little bit you know because you you don't have that engagement that interest of wanting to keep learning about your partner or your friend or whoever it is you right know? i think it's important you have a constant interest in in people and i when i felt like friends of mine even at a young age weren't quite doing that i was like whoa, 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 whoa. i got a lot more i can tell you about me you know there are a few things scarier than uh when somebody who doesn't who is known to not get angry gets angry because it is not only are you not expecting it and it comes out of you know left field and everything uh it's it's usually very concentrated because it's been compressed and bottled up and you know just sort of shoved down for their entire lives and then all of a sudden it just like explodes you know um and it and it can just be like off-putting on so many levels i mean it really just like sucks the air out of the room you know um so is is that how it would go for you would you like um would you blow up would you uh like get like obsessed with little things uh that, that and like people are like why can't you let this go man like this is not yeah. that big of a deal you missed a turn not mm-hmm. a big deal we're back on the main road it's fine like let it go sure. like what 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 was it so my my mom is um is very kind of ocd about um certain things and she and my dad is very much a stickler for like a snapping turtle hanging on to doing the thing and finishing the job, even if it's like the boat sinking, but he's like, so between the two of them and those, those personality traits, I think I have a thing in me where it's like, I'm like, no, I got to stick to it. I got to, whatever the thing is, whatever I'm in. So if I'm in a situation where I'm, um, I feel like I have to get the job done. And if I have to, I would think if I have to suddenly stop everything and reveal how I'm feeling, I was like, I don't want to get into it. It's like, I'm going to bottle it up. And so what would happen is I would bottle it up. And then when it would come out, it would come out at somebody who maybe had pissed me off in the past, but maybe this time it's the slightest thing. It's not one of the bigger things that maybe in that moment I should have actually said something, right? right? But it's something that's so slight. It's still, an, you know, maybe something that's inconsiderate or something that's not right. But then I have almost like this unchecked tally going on with them subconsciously. Right. And I'm like, that's it. That's the last straw. And so this was me, like how I kind of felt in high school. But again, if you ask any of my high school friends, most of them would say, I never saw you because it was so rare 
And so I felt like my way to try to learn how to deal with that was through the thing I loved, which was acting. And that was, that was how I started exploring it. Because once I was able to like see what I was capable of on screen or per- get some things out, that was the first step for me to be like, oh, this is what I can, now I need to learn how to like communicate. Cause I'm really good. Again, it, I would always, as a kid, I was like, oh, I'm good at communicating if I'm happy for someone or if I'm vulnerable with somebody or if I'm scared about something, I had no problem telling them that. Mm. But if I was angry, that was the thing that I had a hard time confronting people about. And it wasn't, I think, until my early, honestly, man, my late 20s, where I finally got comfortable enough in my life where I would say that I was able to really just confront people about things and just talk and talk to them. And it's an ongoing process. I'm still learning, you know. Right. Um, but I think that was a big shift for me personally around that my late 20s. I mean, being sort of brought up as like a, you know, a sensitive artsy kid in Texas, um, you know, I I think this is sort of a common theme on this show. A lot of people I know who are from and and I'm one of them, you know, I'm I'm from Nebraska, but like I was raised in, you know, like a I wouldn't say hippie, but like, you know, like a real like, you know, uh, liberal, expressive, Mm -hmm. Unitarian kind of family. Mm -hmm. Um, But. So, like, my immediate family, you know, they're all, like, just wholesome and sweet and supportive and good. But the immediate surroundings was there was a lot of just feelings of really being, really feeling kind of threatened or just just low-key, like, looked down on as weak or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, because I was not displaying enough masculine swagger um and masculinity and anger are two things that have really been a big thing for me like my whole life and i think it's honestly like it's a big thing for most men um because (laughs) it's quite often i'd say most of the time it's the opposite of what you were raised to express where the only emotion that you're allowed to express is anger, you know, Mm -hmm. as, as a man, as, or even as a boy, um, Mm -hmm. anger, aggression, dominance, you know, uh, power competition, that's all encouraged confidence and all of that stuff. But anything like, you know, fear or, uh, or sadness that is, frowned upon to say the least and it's it's not even in ways that like nobody ever sits a boy down and says like you can't feel sad you can't feel Mm -hmm. scared you know because you're a boy Mm -hmm. like it's not ever given to you that way it's just all these little subtexts and like the way people talk to you the way yeah the way the the way things are modeled to you the way things are uh the, the 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 just the way people look at you you know, even and talk to just yeah. every little yeah. thing. Just if you were at at all receptive to tone and emotion, and if you know, unless you're just like completely like out on the autism spectrum and just like don't pick up on any of that stuff, right. you're going right. to get the message that like this isn't acceptable behavior if you're yeah. a man, and you know, yeah. in certain arenas, and like I still find myself 
you know, kind of acting guarded or almost like code switching in like different groups of, of yeah. dudes, you know, like it's, it's mm-hmm. very weird. It, it is weird when I, when I find myself in a group of dudes who are not like my closest friends and it's like, I suddenly realize it feels kind of like being back at school again, where it's mm-hmm. like their way, like this group of guys or like, maybe there's like extra testosterone in the air. There's this extra kind of like kind of preening going on. Yeah. Where it's like putting on airs and I, part of me is just like, dude, like, just talk to me. Like, what are you, you're like, you're having some kind of, I feel like you're not really being real with me right now. You're doing something else, you know? Yeah. Um, like, it, but it's only like in big groups of people. I don't really know if there's a common theme like that because I think most of the people I hold close and I hang out with my groups are maybe a little more like-minded, you know, or, or like feeling in some way. Yeah. Um, I uh, tweeted fairly recently. Um, it's actually very manly to uh, admit that you're sad and scared all the time. Um, something yeah. to that effect. Um, yeah. And it, it got some retweets and somebody quote tweeted oh, good. it. This, this girl quote, oh, nice. which is nice. It always feels good yeah, when it great. gets likes yeah. and retweets and engagement <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Someone quote tweeted it. Um, and I think they meant well, but they were just like, actually, it's, you know, this is, I think it's just a very human thing to, to admit. And I was just like, I agree. But that's not but, the point yeah. of what I was the, saying. What I'm like really, missed, really getting at the you detail. You missed the joke. Yeah. The joke the, is yeah, that exactly, it's, exactly. it's not like it's not <laughs> regarded as manly to do that at all. And yes. that's what I think yes. we need to work on. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, that's I mean, you know, it's so interesting because like my story, I feel like it's so the opposite, you know, right of like of what it is like for probably the majority of my buddies I had growing up who are still my friends I've had since childhood is like, you know, it was the opposite. They were told like, always be angry, like you were saying. And so for them to be able to express themselves in a vulnerable way, that was the anomaly. And so it was interesting having those friends as a kid, because like when they would come over to my house, the vibe was very different with my parents versus some of the other parents, you know, uh, regarding behavior and feelings. Does it ever still kind of I don't know, get to you or bother you or worry you? Because I feel like, especially in the last, I don't know, five years or so with the Trump era and the Proud Boys and all of these like uh, real kind of fucked up uh, models of masculinity that are Mm -hmm. gaining steam and are being emboldened and are uh, uh, becoming more and more, it seems more and more kind of present and violent and ready to uh, confront people um, as, you know, kind of a, 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 a softer, you know, expressive kind of uh, guy. Do you ever feel the the need or the desire to like put up like a wall of armor? Like, okay, but like, I'll still, you know, kill you or whatever, you know, like, is there still yeah, like that? Yeah, it does. It, that, it, uh, it does posturing right there i think i it definitely comes out i've realized that the older i've gotten i'm now 38 but like the older i've gotten i have gotten more more and more quick and defensive when it involves somebody i love being threatened yeah or if i see an unfairness or injustice happen like with my co or something is right immediate it's easy for me to like, I've learned, I've gotten better at it to have an, to, you know, not go crazy, but to have, let myself have that reaction 
right? Don't bury the reaction because it's actually in a moment where maybe you're needed right. to, to say something. But in order to do that, you may have to be aggressive. You don't have to be a dick, but you, but you have to combat yeah. the thing that's happening in the spot. And I think, again, the acting, I think all those things years ago have helped me now. Okay, I got, I got it in me. I know it's in yeah. there. Now it's my tool. How do I appropriate it to the situation in the moment? And I'm also, you know, a benefit of the doubt guy. And everybody's different, different ways. But there's a part of me that's kind of like, okay, like, you know, if there's a situation happening, I'm like, hey, take it easy. There's like the first, like, yeah. let's try to deflect this. Like, right. let's talk, you know. Right. And then if it keeps going, like, another five minutes, and then it's like, okay, we're going to have to deal with something here. I will say that um, it is horrifying the state of things and the fact that I don't think that it's more aggression happening from some of the Proud Boys and these people that you're talking about because of Trump, I don't think it's happening more. It's always there. I think the difference is that they're now getting the okay from the news and from the president, from Trump to be like, it's okay to do this. So now we're getting, now we have, we don't have to hide it anymore. The game is over of like, there's no putting on a facade. And that's, that's the terrifying thing. But in some ways, maybe it's, it's better because yeah, you can kind of see them for what they are. Have it They've taken the off the like, sheep's, yeah. you know, hat, yeah. and you see the wolf beneath, and you're like, okay, I, I got you figured out. You don't have to wear that thing. Take that mask off. Like I get it. Like you're not even trying to wear it anymore. You know. Do you consider yourself a optimist or a pessimist? Um, you know, and and what is your kind of outlook uh, for you know your your prognosis for uh, where we're going and uh, how how things are gonna turn out in general? I, uh, I've always considered myself an optimistic realist. Hmm. Um, meaning and to me, that means I always will try to find the bright side of things while still acknowledging the bad of the thing and knowing that at some point the optimism, it just may not exist because it might be so bad in the realistic situation that, yeah, we're on a sinking, like, yes, we're on, like in some situation, like I may not be able to get out of this. Hmm. Um, and be realistic, but never anticipating that I, I certainly would never call myself a pessimist. I don't think I have. And in fact, one of the things that even, even culturally and kind of like with humor and things like sarcasm for me, I think a little goes a long way. Like I'm one of those people, I think it's funny and I think it's funny in shows and comedy, but like for me, sarcasm is after a while, I'm like, I just want the earnestness. I want the, the truth beneath that you know right. um and you know to really feel that you know sincerity yeah it's been a it's been kind of a thing with our generation i mean you know i'm kind of glad to some degree the sort of hipster irony of the of the <laughs> right. aughts has sort of died down right. and there is like right. a little bit more yes uh vulnerability and sincerity happening on some level but they're also mm-hmm. at the same time i think is there this you know, there is a real like black pill nihilism, uh, you know, doomer thing happening too. Yes. And like, honestly, uh, I mean, I consider myself a pessimist, um, yeah. but I also think that there are limits to uh, how, I don't know, how much you can really let that get to you. You know, before you just completely because I've gone the other way where I'm just like, I am fully like, I don't give a fuck. It doesn't matter. Yeah. We're all yeah. dead in 
two years tops, you know, and like sometimes I still have that going on in my head, Mm -hmm. you know, we're still kind of like, I don't know, man. Like by this episode's coming out next week. We might be in the middle of World War Three by the time this might fucking be over. drops, yeah, right? It might be over, so like, you know, you know yeah. I, I just don't know. And like the big doom has been a big question. I've talked about this on recent episodes. Um and it it it's a thing that rattles around in my head and when it's not when it's a thing that doesn't really bother people on a daily basis, I'm always mm-hmm. like What's that like? How do, how can you? How does that totally. like? How do you? How do you? That that must be so great to like yes. to like to like understand that like yeah things might not go well but like I'm gonna keep living my life and like not just constantly be under the <laughs> totally. pressure of this like this cloud like I don't just like see the fucking warhead just in the air like about to drop on me at all times yeah like, you know it's like not a it's not already I, I'm written. so with you. I'm so with you. I, I, cause I know people like that, that it's like, they just live their day. They don't think about any other thing. And in fact, they try to deflect it. Even if you want to talk about what's happening between Russia and Ukraine or anything, yeah. they'd be like, yeah, yeah, let's talk about, you know, they don't want to talk about anything that could be dire. What, what's interesting is I, I guess that's what I meant by optimistic realist, because I think I'm, I, I give a slant of like, Hey, I'm hoping for the best. But yeah. the realism in me is also like, hey, at some point, like it might just be too late. Um, and I'll, I'll push a little harder than, than possible. And, and I think even in terms of like, one of the things that this ties into a little bit was like, I was never a very politically minded kid. Hmm. It comes from a place of privilege and, and uh, not having to worry about a lot. I had two loving parents and I was grateful for that. But it's like, I was just in my own little bubble. And I think it took me, getting older, going to college and reading history and doing all these things, and especially, you know, with everybody being trapped inside for COVID and George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, it's like I, I found myself being the most vocal about things I believed in than I had ever been. And it felt good. But in seeing that, to me personally, that activism is a kind of optimism because if not, I would be like, fuck it. Nothing's ever going to change. You know, it's like yeah. this shit's never going to change. And in some ways you could argue like, yeah, racism is never going to go away. But can we at least make a dent somehow politically and get something changed or at least it makes a sliver of a different maybe. Yeah. So that's kind of like my perspective. Like, let's let's keep going, fighting a little harder. You know, I don't think I'd stop completely the fight, but it's like at some point, I think, you know, you might. Um, yeah. and it's funny, I got to tell you too, though, man, like what's funny is all the things I'm fascinated with are about the end of things. Like I'm into serial killers as a kid. I was like fascinated with Oppenheimer and the A-bomb and mm-hmm. the first short films I made in college was about the A-bomb Manhattan project and like nuclear Holocaust. So like I've always had these, this fascination with reading and watching things that are kind of about like doomsday, the end of things. Yeah. Um, you know, but I still try to, in my own life, I try to find just a little slant just to find the thing to keep me going a little bit, you know. It's yeah, pretty, I mean, it's, it's, cause thing. it's, it's pretty hard. I, I will speak from experience. It's pretty yeah. hard to just like wallow in that and fully let it just, I mean, like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Like, I can't fucking be, yeah. I can't just, 
I has I spent a lot of time on Twitter today, and I think a lot of people have, you know, with with everything happening and all of this tension stuff happening. But like every time that this shit comes up, I feel like I, it each time I, it gets a little less like I care a little less or something, or it gets less viscerally terrifying for me like i remember being like doom scrolling in like 2017 with like north korea and shit uh versus doom scrolling in 2019 with uh like iran and like you know uh uh, what was his name Suleimani and like all that stuff like when he got iced and like they were like oh shit is things are things about to pop off and then doom scrolling with covid and like the election and the riots and the uprising and like all of that shit like every time like now i go on there and i'm kind of like I feel it a little bit, but I'm also just like, fine, do it. Fucking launch the fucking shit. Do it. I don't care. I don't like, I'm tired of living and waiting for this. So like, it's going to happen or it's going to not happen. And that's the only way that like, I've been able to manage it. Cause like, what else are you supposed to do? Because like you go like as an impressionable person, um, as a person who like kind of picks up on people's emotions, Mm -hmm. uh, you go on there and then like, some person you forgot you fucking followed, they're spiraling and they're having a full on panic yeah. attack and they're like, we're doomed, we're fucked, are we yeah. all gonna die? And you're yeah. just like, oh, but that's in my energy now. Like, it, yeah, like it can spread. It's so not easily, good for you. you. Know, Social media no, is not good for you. It is not. Uh, it, it can wear you. It's funny too because I feel like the the fe- the feelings of of, tr- of trying to upkeep and like how to give yourself space from social media is so hard because it's just become, it's not just like checking out other people's lives. It's also a way now to get news. Yeah. Um, so it's not just like a mirror back, you know, comparing yourself to other people, um, which is inherent in what the thing is, but it's also like just always getting more pieces of news out of, of what could happen, how dire the situation is. Um, and it's easy to get pulled into that, into that rabbit hole. I mean, I know what's weird is, um, when I was in, I was summer after high school, I don't know what happened, man, but I had, I had a weird attack. It was my first panic attack that I'd ever had. And it sounds, it sounds cliche, but it's like, for whatever reason, high school ended. And I had a, a friend who was uh, upset that his girlfriend had broken up with him. And in a cry for help way, he had uh, taken a knife and like cut open his legs and was bleeding in his home. And he called me. And I found him and I had to like try to call the ambulance. And it was like a really scary, you know, all about mortality and blood all over yeah. the linoleum. And it was a really big moment. And something about the end of an era, end of high school, you're now in a, you know, 18 and seeing that happen with your friend. I just, I suddenly became so afraid of death. And as a kid, I intellectualized death like everybody does. And I just was like, oh, I, I get it as an idea. Yeah, I know what it means. And that's also coming from a non-religious background where I don't think that there's anything after this. I think we, 
it just we stop you know right uh maybe there's some residue energy in the air or something you know um but i don't you know i don't think there's a place we go to um but i would i had panic attacks that whole summer and i didn't know what they were i thought they were heart attacks yeah and it was all because i was so afraid and finally the idea of death just had me in a meltdown for my summer after high school before college I mean, you know. it makes perfect sense. Yeah. You also like you—you you found your friend's uh, possibly yeah. ending his life, and uh, yeah. was he okay? Yeah. Was he? He, he is, and he's, yeah, and he's he's, he's, and he's he's around now. Yeah, he's doing but, great. But you know, you know. You, you walk into someone's house and there's blood and you know gushing yeah. everywhere, and like that's yeah. that is a it traumatic was... event, and you know, like no matter how uh, uh, sheltered you might be, eventually you're gonna see some shit. Eventually, yeah. you're going to see some blood and gore. Yeah. You're going to see some death, no matter who you are. And yeah. it will fuck you up, like, every time, unless you're, like, a sociopath or something. Yeah. And you got, you know, like, that's that's a whole other, I don't know, like, uh, start a company or something. Yo, <laughs> run for office, then yeah, you're, you're going right. to be fine. But, exactly. um, you know, like the first time like really seeing it up hand uh, up up front firsthand like oh we're just these meat machines and yeah. uh you make a hole and too much of the blood Things goes out, out and then yeah, you, yeah, yeah. then you die and you never come yeah. back and it's over and everything that you are the circuitry in your brain is just gone just yeah. wiped out and you yeah. know like that's it uh that's a huge moment and i don't think you can really understand it until you fucking see it like, yes it's it's a different it thing it's, yeah. a, it's a different thing and and it was uh it, it affected me so greatly though that like i literally i just i had those moments where you talk where i'm just like oh like there's no point why did i even go through high school like one of my yeah. we're all gonna be gone like it doesn't matter nothing matters you know so i really went through a nothing matters summer mm-hmm how I how did you what I don't know what how I got out of it. I, I think it was honestly just becoming a cog in the wheel. I think just being a robot being like, oh, I'm supposed to go to college. And I think then going to school and just waking up one day and focusing on, oh, I gotta make a piece of toast and have a cup of coffee. Like just putting myself into minutiae was kind of a mask to put on just to be able just to like put it on the back burner. Hmm. You know, and and honestly, I think making films again, like in that freshman year of college and film class, put that fire in me because I think honestly, having a, a passion, whether it's you know, it's people you you care about, or I think something you love to do. And I was like making movies a month later, two months later, and I had that fire in me to where it's like, okay, I have this to focus on to distract me. Yeah, that everything could blow up around us tomorrow. How did you um, identify it as, a, as as panic attacks? Like, when did you make the discovery, the realization, like, oh, those weren't, I wasn't having heart attacks. That's a panic attack. That's a thing. I'll, can understand I'll tell you how. A, a, that's a great question, man. I But I'll tell you how, but it's a really weird uh, way to get there, how I found out. But it was um, years later in my last year of college, um, I happened to come home one day on just on a whim. I was going to stop my, by my parents' house to say hi and to see them. And I came in, I was calling their name and nobody was there. And then I walked in the kitchen and I saw my mom 
lying on the ground with her eyes rolled back and foam in her mouth and she wasn't moving. And she had had an aneurysm leak, not burst, but leak. And I had to call 911 and get her to the yard. And it was the most, it was the scariest moment of my life, like hands down. That's the scariest moment of my life. And I had never known a fear like that. Thankfully, my mom is, she's still here, but she had to undergo three brain surgeries because they found out that what happened was she had two symmetrically placed aneurysms she had since she was a kid. And one had started leaking like a air out of the bottom of a balloon and she collapsed. Thankfully, she had to hit her head on the counter or anything. But the problem was they're like, it could have just burst and she could have died. Right. But the other aneurysm was next to it and her brain was primed and ready to go. And so it was like playing a game of operation. And so they had to go through three times, three surgeries. And during, that was my last semester of school, of college. So during that time, that mortality thing came back. Like what I had my friend and all of a sudden I started having panic attacks again. And it happened while I was driving and I crashed into somebody from behind. Less than a mile from my house, which is what they always say. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> always you know, I was. Up, the, you know? I was. I'm the statistic. You right. Know, but, it's like, but I was right there, and I was so bad I couldn't breathe. And I was like, "Oh, it. It seems like the feeling I had when I was right after high school, but it seems worse." And my friend took me to the hospital, and they were like, "Oh, it's a panic attack." Hmm. And then I started seeing a doctor for it, and then I started taking anti-anxiety meds which I was on only for a year off and on. And this was back in 2005, right. uh, 2006. And, um, and, I, and I realized that I started to look at them more even as a placebo or, or even just seeing them there as a preventative, seeing them on the counter would give me, help me through a panic attack or if I felt it coming on to seeing the pills there, mm. I wouldn't even have to take one and it would actually help me calm down knowing that I had it there if I needed it. Did you know anybody else uh, who had had panic attacks before that? Did you have any kind of frame of reference? I mean, like the Sopranos had already come out. So like it was, it was panic attacks. I know, the right? Lexicon and stuff, but. Well, it's funny because everything in the lexicon, even with me watching Sopranos as a, as a kid, it's like, you know, and I don't know what it is. Like on TV, it's just like something going, <laughs> just like, yeah. you know, but it's like, it's, it seems performative. It's like so internalized for anybody that hasn't had it, that it's like, you feel like you're just exploding on the inside yeah and it's hard to really feel it on the outside especially for people some people are more um emotive just as people in their day-to-day anyway um so i didn't quite understand what it was which is why i thought again it was a, a heart attack or something was happening and they did they that day that i was brought in they had to sedate me and they had to get my blood pressure they said your blood pressure is like through the roof like this is crazy right. they had to like put me in and that was a frightening thing realizing that oh like i can actually maybe do some damage to myself right you did also like thinking tail something. end a, a car <laughs> yeah, too yeah. like you know yeah i mean it's like i could have hurt somebody thank god yeah. I, I mean really like i could have like geez i mean i could have killed somebody i mean that yeah. all because of a pain i mean could have been a totally different story right now you know so i'm so thankful that you know 
nothing else happened. But how it was, was the that... aftermath of that? Did you like, did you, were you able to kind of snap out of it and be like, oh shit, like, I'm uh, sorry. And like able to like, kind of, no, cover I, your was tracks, still, you, I was still, I was still, I was still in it. I was useless. Oh, wow. And the person I remember getting out in my, you know, subconscious background on my head, you know, it's like in the foreground, everything's just crazy, but I could see somebody coming out and they were okay. And they were just like, they were more concerned about me. Right. You know, and I'm like, couldn't breathe. And then I just remember like going to the hospital to doing tests and you know um it it was it was a it was a scary thing and what's weird is that ever since that time in my life i didn't have them again until 2018 um during a breakup and that was the it was a it was a big one but a big breakup but it was that was when those panic attacks was this the the, the person with the substance abuse uh issues Yeah. yeah yeah um you know and and that person's in a really great place now by the way i mean they're not you great. know that in in a, in a wonderful way they're not yeah. dealing with that anymore yeah and uh but that it was just a, it was a mixture of a lot of things and i think it was just just from an emotional standpoint too i think it just those feelings came back and and by that point buddy when the panic attacks came in 2018 i was like hello old friend it was like it was kind of like now i know what you are right and even if it was a little different, which they were, every decade or so, man, my panic attacks are different. Like, they're not all the same. Right. But I know what they are now. And so I'm just, you know, it, that itself is a comfort. That I'm like, in the moment, like, I got to get through this. Got to get through this, you know. But then people like my dad, you know, when I first got him and I was on the anti-anxiety meds, he couldn't wrap his head around it. Hmm. You know, even for a guy that's really sensitive, I think, to a lot of people, you know, and he's open to talking about expressing your feelings and stuff. He just didn't understand how he was like, and I think it's a generational thing. Too, it's a generational he just, thing. He just it's was very, like, I don't it's, understand. It's hard goes, for boomers goes, to fucking get yeah, that Yeah, he's stuff, like, but... he goes, just don't worry about it. He goes, just stop thinking about it. And I'm like, Dad, it doesn't work that way. You know, you don't know what it's like. And he's like, I don't get, I can't wrap my head around it, you know. Yeah, like, deal with it the way we do. You know, you <laughs> yeah. get a get a fucking get a glass of whiskey. You fucking <laughs> yeah, go exactly. get laid, like you know. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's it's hard. I don't. Does mental illness uh, run in your family at all? Like, is there uh, more like kind of undiagnosed, diagnosed, whatever? You know, it's a, it's um, not that I'm aware of, and I, not that I think. Um, although I would just say that. Um, I, I there are some things with my mother that she's had to kind of go through since the brain surgeries that I, I could never quite tell if it was like a consequence of the brain surgery yeah, or whether it's something that's been exacerbated by the brain surgeries, but existed long before. Um, but she would have these kind of um, these. I don't want to call it OCD, but I, I think I do think that's that's kind of part of it. But to where in this way, where it's like very hard for her to let go and stop with something, mm. you know. Um, and she doesn't understand. Like it's it. She will not let go. And and a lot of it ties in, I think, also to her upbringing, um, where she was the oldest of six kids, and you know, if she did something not even wrong, but she just kind of messed, missed a spot cleaning on the floor. I've been told that she had to redo everything. Um, Hi, Jocelyn. Yeah, he says bye. 
<laughs> we know each other, uh, by yeah. the way, because uh, you yeah. you are dating a former guest friend of the show, Jocelyn Jensen, who was a great guest, um, and yes. she just she just walked past you on the Zoom. Yes, for the thanks. For, I'm glad you you said for the listener who that <laughs> to, was. To uh, so um, just so I don't have to edit it out is really no. I'm glad. I'm glad you did. It's a very <laughs> real moment there. Uh, but yeah, my my mom. Um, I she. I think part of it's tied into her Catholic, uh, you know, perfectionism and like wanting everything mm-hmm. has to be right. And if it's not right, her guilt, man, is like intense. Even if she thinks she might have done something, that guilt will permeate her week that's catholicism baby that's how they i mean yeah built it. really and, and, and you know here's the crazy part man of course i still have trickle down from that that's the yeah that's i mean the that's weird part yeah, of the whole of thing it's still in me even though i'm it's, not catholic but i still feel that no dude those it, little it pieces goes, it, it, it lasts generations if yeah, you have kids yeah. they're gonna have catholic <laughs> guilt even if you don't yeah. if even if they don't right. ever fucking set foot in yeah. a catholic church i am telling yeah. you like it yeah. goes on and on like i know so many people who like they're like maybe their parents were Catholic or sort of lapsed Catholic, didn't really right. like they maybe got right. confirmed, they maybe didn't, but like right. they still have like capital C Catholic guilt in them. And yeah. it's just like, man, yes. it is so powerful. It's crazy. Really? And I and I think that's one of the that ties into my anger, I think. That like then anytime I would start trying to explore my anger, I would feel guilty about it mm. when I was younger. Cause I was like, Oh, I shouldn't be feeling like, you know, I should, I should take it easy. I shouldn't be angry, you know, and I would then try to almost talk myself out of even having the anger, you know, what's the, uh, the angriest you ever got. What's the worst you've ever like blown up. Man, that's tough. And mm. not, not because there's so many, but it's right. like, uh, it's more like thinking of like the thing that I was the angriest, um, it's funny because, again, like, as we kind of already have alluded to a little bit, but it's like, you know, when somebody has unchecked anger and they're still learning how to deal with it and they're not used to it, it's like a, a it's like riding a bike or a motorcycle and you've ridden one before. And they're like, what do I do? It could crash and you don't know which yeah. way it's going to go. And it's an incredibly there, volatile and powerful emotion, too, to even contain. It, it is. And I, I think there was this time that there was this dude, um, I was at a film festival. This is really sounds so silly, man. I was at a, a film festival in Poland mm-hmm. and I was at a bar with my buddy and it was this, pardon the dog. Um, no <laughs> um, but there was this, um, Hey, this, this is a pro dog buddy, podcast. We got a buddy. dog. There's, oh, good. There's good. dogs. Yeah. Oh, great. Dottie interrupts all the time. Nice. Um, yeah, I love this dog, but, um, I was at this bar in Poland and there was this dude and you know, I, I know what it was. I, I was in Poland, but I was still going through stuff back in Texas, like with the relationship that I was in, that I was still stewing on right. and having feelings about. But so this guy like just started taking pictures of me like unabashedly, like at the bar and just kind of like grinning and then like looking and then like laughing as he's like texting. And I'm like, the fuck. Right. And I went up to him and I was like, it's like, excuse me. He's like, are you, are you taking pictures of me? He's like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I am. And I was like, uh, I was like, why are you taking pictures of me? He's like, cause you look like a dick. <laughs> and he goes, so I'm just sending photos. And, uh, and I was like, really? And, uh, and it was that real like bar fight, you know, uh, moment 
potentially where it's like, oh, this could, this could erupt, you know, into, into a thing. And I had a real moment where like, I got, I got so mad and I was basically, I I started kind of talking back and I, I, and to what he said, he said, I look like a dick. I said, well, I said, you know what? I said, it might be easier to see when we go outside. So let's go outside and let's talk. I said, no, really, let's take some pictures. I said, I'll take some pictures of you. You take some pictures of me. I was like starting to, you know, lose it. And my buddy saw me and I was grabbing the guy by the shoulder. And I was like, come on, man. I was like, come on, let's use that camera of yours. You know, I was really like losing it. Right. And my friend and I had something to drink, of course. But then and then that guy, the guy who was taking pictures of me was drunk. And my friend was the only one who was like not drunk at the bar. And so he just kind of was like, he's like, Frank, let's go out of here. Let's go back to, you know, the room. Right. And we got out of there. He kind of got me out of that. He got me out of that situation mm-hmm. um, because I think it could have led to something. And I, and I know that, yeah, what the guy was doing was not cool. And I was totally about to like start laying in. I mean, I was just like, I, I think it was a few times I was just so ready. I was just like, I don't give a fuck. I was like, I don't give a flying fuck right now. I said, right. let's go out in the snow right now. It's like, I don't give a fuck. And my friend thankfully was like, you are, he goes like, take it easy. Yeah. And you know, of course the next day I felt like shit. And I was like, what the hell is wrong? Like, what was I thinking? But at the same time, I immediately like, I'm, I intellectualized it enough to be like, Oh, I know where it's coming from. Like the dude was being a dick, but he's sure. like, it was, I know the, the deep rootedness of what I was feeling was all this other shit that I'm thinking about that right. I was going to take out on him. Do you think he was even taking pictures or was he just trying to start a fight? Was that just like his like pickup line I for like, was, I'm going to fight a guy? I saw the phone. I right. saw the phone. And by the way, the reason he said I look like a dick, I had a, I just had a mustache at the time. Right. And I was playing this role. I played the seventies PI in this movie. And so when I was, I went straight to Poland, I had just this mustache he's like, you look like, he goes, you just look like a dick. And I remember, I just like, you hear those words. He was a Polish guy? Yeah, he was like a middle-aged guy, too. He wasn't a young guy. Huh. And he was there, and he was just like, and he was like, you look like a dick, man. And he just, and he was sending photos of me. And he even, I mean, this is what he did. The last photo he took of me before I came over was he took the photo of me, but right. he stuck up his middle finger in the foreground, like at me in the picture. Wow, disrespect. And, I, and, and that's when I was like, what the fuck? I was like, that's, I was like, this is like, dude, you just, you know, so I saw the photos, you know, cause I went up and I grabbed, I looked at his phone. Uh, and again, it's such a, it's a ridiculous story, but it, it's one of those things where like, I don't know if that was the angriest I've ever been, but that was certainly one of the times where like confrontational wise, I was, yeah. I, I mean, but like, how can you like, spot. you know, when somebody just like this, I'm glad that this rarely happens or is like rarely happened to me. But like it has happened, you know, where you're just trying to mind your own fucking business. Have a you're drink, just, you know, having like, uh, yeah. having a drink. Yeah. And then someone is just on the warpath and they're fucking yeah. disrespecting you. And it is just the yeah. worst. Like, I don't know how to deal with that. I, I never have. And I don't think that. Yeah. I don't think that most well-adjusted people do. I think that, you know, everybody has that kind of fantasy that they're going to just like 
be all fucking like stoic and Charles Bronson-y <laughs> and just like, right, you know, right, really right. just like fucking like uh, uh, know exactly how to handle somebody who just like comes out of nowhere. But like you're never ready. You're just no. like hanging out. And then all of a sudden you're like, I have to fight somebody. I might have to like go to jail abroad. Like, I don't want that. Like, what the fuck? That's the that's the thing. Like, you know, the movie part of my brain, man, in that moment was like, I'm going to go to jail for hitting a middle-aged Polish man taking photos of me in a bar during a film festival. It's like the craziest already. I'm like, this is insane. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, I I was actually to be honest, like even though the next day I was like, what the fuck was I thinking? There was a part of me that felt exhilarated in the sense that I was like, okay, if in a better situation, where I had to stand up for somebody or I, you know, was in a situation where you had to defend somebody you love or you care about a friend or whatever. It's like, okay, well you have, again, it's a reminder of the things that we have inside ourselves that we can use. Hmm. If you have to confront somebody or counter somebody, you know, uh, in the case of the guy at the bar though, obviously it wasn't me countering. It was me just like, instead of me turning away, I just, you know, I was the one saying, let's go out, you know, outside, yeah. you know, um, it's hard. I mean, like yeah. as much as I like to try and like prepare for that, uh, you know, like it just, I am so bad with confrontation as angry of a person as I am. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, the minute that I have to like get heated with somebody or like, I feel that coming over me. Like I just, I, I like have this like out of body experience. I get all fucking dizzy. I get just like, it, it's, it's really uh, I don't know. It's it's very uncomfortable to me, uh, like how uh out of it I get and how bad I am with confrontation because that just makes me feel like oh, if the time comes, like you were saying, like oh, if the time comes when I like actually need to, I like I, am I gonna freeze up? Am I gonna be like yeah. a little coward about it? Like am I gonna be like that that fucking guy in a uh, saving Private Ryan, you know, who just like right. Know, that's a great example. Like, has a, actually, has like that's a, a great little, example. You know, like yeah, you know, like that kind of thing. Or I'm just yeah. like, is that going to be me? Like, am I just like just totally going to puss out? Like, what's going to happen? Like, it's it's a very hard thing to deal with. Just like as a person, but again, as a guy, where you just feel like that's what you're supposed to do, or something. Like you're supposed yeah. to have like this ability to like handle those situations. And I'm like, I don't. I don't know if I, I don't know if I would. Like, well, no, but that's an, and that's such a great thing you brought up because I'm a firm believer in that. Realistically, every situation that something could erupt, maybe violence-wise or whatever, is different from another situation. So even though there's people who's like, oh, I think I'm the kind of guy that, you no, know, you know, this something happens, I'll always fight, or somebody's like, no, I'd always run, or whatever. These kind of like, like, absolute answers. I think so much of it is like dependent on that day, right? Because mm-hmm. like, what if I hadn't been going through that stuff back home in Texas? I might've just turned away or ignored it, you know, or if it had been worse in Texas, I might've been even more aggressive, right? You know, so I don't, it's, it's, I think every situation is different. And that's why sometimes in the movies, the most interesting characters are like when they do something in a horror film where people are stuck in a house and they all have to fight together to survive. Like the guy who acts all tough, like has the freeze moment. Yeah. And devoured by zombies. And then the person who usually never does it, like suddenly is like firing every gun and saving the zombie, you know, people from the zombies or whatever. You know? Right. Uh, so I think it's different with 
in every situation because we don't know what we would do. And I think that makes it's provocative to us as human beings to know what we're like, what would we do? If we think about that, we see a movie that shows us that I'm like, what would I do in that situation? Do you consider yourself a perfectionist? I know that it's like a, it's a theme running through, you know, your family. I, I, I definitely have, um, perfectionist, uh, parts of me and the, older I, I've gotten, I've tried harder to, to let go of, of that perfectionism and for health reasons and for, and to be like, you know what it, again, like my dad clinging to the right thing because it's the right thing to do, even to the point of maybe self-destruction or whatever it might right. be, or my mom who's clinging to something because that's the way she was raised. The only thing that I'm really a perfectionist and is is my work and i don't even mean like my any day job or teaching because i think everything i'm more lenient with on a day-to-day basis but when it comes to my creative work i get very protective over it and i certainly have perfectionism that i have to battle with that and honestly it's it's been a couple of things but it's been um jocelyn is one of them that she's one of the people that has taught me my partner, Jocelyn, um, has taught me that it's okay to, that it's never going to be perfect. And even if you think it's perfect, it's subjective, you know, to you it is, but then even all the work you put in all the years or whatever, it may not be perfect to somebody who sees it as a work, Hmm. you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder. And I did two things this over this year is that I gave a passion project of mine to a friend to direct instead that I'm only producing now. And it's been a passion project I've been wanting to make for like 10 years. And then I'm co-directed with somebody for the first time, which I've never done. So I've been playing with these ideas of losing control. Right. And I think in a sense, in a relinquishing sense, control, relinquishing control, right. the control to say I'm losing control or that right. I'm giving it away or by collaboration. And I love collaboration in general. I mean, I'm a, I, that's my favorite thing in the world, man, making yeah. movies and collaborating with people. But I mean, even as a, as a director, I think it's helped me to give something away to be like, I trust somebody else to direct it. Or to be like, you know what, let's co-direct something together, which I've never done before, and see what kind of new things can come out of it. And I think in some ways, it also puts less pressure on the thing, on the film. And it lets it just become something that will surprise me, you know, and I can learn from the other people around me. And I, I've always tried to learn from other people around me. But, you know, also, it's like, if you're if you're a film nut, you're film, you know, there's all this auteur theory bullshit and I you know I do think that there are amazing auteurs that there are these filmmakers who do like a lot of movies they pretty much do everything by themselves but they in doing so they block a lot of other people out and people can get hurt they can um, you know maybe say no to things that would have helped the film be a better thing yeah and you know unlike a painting or unlike writing a novel it's film takes a lot of people it's not like a one person solo endeavor right and so i think even just by me being in that world and loving that world i think i'm already apt and ready to have 
collaboration, but I think this year has taught me in those choices I made with those projects is I'm relinquishing that control and in a sense saying, you know what, the thing could be some become something different. Learn to let go. Yeah. And I'm hoping that just that learn to let go theme is also just I can then apply to my feelings about, you know, something I'm holding on to that gets me angry or whatever the thing is, you know. Um it's, don't be so precious with everything. And I Yeah. That's the only way that I even started like making this podcast in the first place. I was like, yeah, I'm going to make a podcast and it's going to suck for that's a while. Amazing. Like, it, that's amazing. Not every episode is going to be yeah. good. Like, what are you going to yeah. do? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, J- Jocelyn's taught me genuinely, and I really credit this to her. She's taught me not to be so precious. And honestly, man, this ties into something else with my parents that um, my dad likes to keep a lot of stuff. His mom was a hoarder. Mm. to like the nth degree and when she passed away the place was just like I mean even my, my dad was like this is insane like she keeps it well he has pieces of that in him right and he he's always like you never know when you'll need it you know and my mom is the person who's like you don't you don't need you know she's the one who's like you know I like to get rid of all the stuff right to make it look tidy but I think so I battle with those two parts of of me as well and how I am with not only tangible physical things but also like we were just talking about the emotional metaphorical version of that like letting go of something versus keeping something mm. you know so to me that's that's very much tied in um, you know holding on to a physical thing and then having the same personality who can't let go of, of something and they're clinging to that memory of a bad memory or a good memory, whatever it is, you know. Letting go is one of the most important things that we can yeah. learn to do. Frank Mosley, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey. Uh, this was fucking great, man. I'm glad I finally got to uh, sit down and, and talk with you. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, you know, actually, yeah. So Jocelyn and I have a, uh, we have a script service that we have called Script Eater. Um, we started over the pandemic and basically we just, we offer people, um, consultation, uh, full script coverage and just like feedback on their screenplays. Um, so if anybody's interested in that, we, we love doing it. If you go to script-eater.com, scripteater.com, um, you can see like the breakdown, our rates and how we do things. But, uh, that's kind of our, our baby company that we're just kind of pushing out. And then, uh, I have a short film. Um, that just premiered at Slam Dance that I, I co-directed with my buddy Hugo D'Souza. Um, and it's now going to be at the Santa Barbara Film Festival at the top of March. So if you're out there for whatever reason, come to check it out. Um, and it'll be at the Film Fort Fest in Boise at the end of March. Um, so hopefully it'll be some virtual screenings with that too so people can check it out. Right. I mean, you know, virtual screenings yeah. are kind of the way to go. Way, it way, is way kind of the, the way it is that's, now. That's, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, they, being landlocked in in one location is is no longer an excuse to not you know to, to not go to film festivals because they're everywhere now thanks to so the true yeah thanks so, so much thanks. man for uh Dude, for for coming on this was great thank you man it was really a pleasure it was good to finally meet man hang out yeah thanks a lot take care ah <sighs> thank you once again to frank mosley for coming on the show nice fella very nice fella. He's he's someone I would describe as a nice fella. Kind face. 
affable, all of that. Nice fella. I am not. I'm a guy who yells at people and has meltdowns and does embarrassing shit sometimes. We already know that. I do things I regret. I don't know how to stop. Okay. Hi. Goodbye. That's all. Uh, rate and review on iTunes. Uh, selfhorse at gmail.com. I'm going to plug all of that again at the tail end. Uh, thank you so much for listening. This really means a lot uh, that you stuck it out uh, this far. And um, hope you're doing well. Hope you are managing to uh, just manage and limit your news intake just try and keep it to like an hour a day you know like our boomer parents did read the paper in the morning watch the evening news that's it and then you go about your life and you're not just constantly on your phone ugh it isn't good for you so I don't know take care of yourself Go outside, touch grass, try and vibe. And, uh, oh, music is by Shea Bartel. Theme song is by Shea Bartel and me, Brad Pearson. Ah, I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, go out and fail. It's good for you. Bye.